This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a sensational weekend of the best possible. I hope you're in one of those states that's partially reopening. We got about 15 opening more today to a degree. Not fast enough for many of you. I put this question out on Twitter. Uh, are you got, what is the state of your state? Are you reopening? Is it fast enough or do you want it slower? Let me know. And almost everybody wants everybody to pick up the pace, which blows me away because if you look at the Gallup poll, 44% of Republicans and just 4% of Democrats want to reopen their state. I'm thinking to myself, even for Republicans, that's low. Because most people I talk to are going to pick it up at the same time, respecting the virus and knowing that 67,000 people have lost their lives. But I'm also looking at those stats and I'm just wondering, are people writing coronavirus on for issues that aren't coronavirus? Also, uh, the accuracy of a lot of those stats. But we know the recoveries are up. 180,152 worldwide. You got 1.1 million people. But why is there an urgency? Why is there an urgency? Because 30 million filed for unemployment. Millions more will file for unemployment, and those numbers are going to go up more. 67,000 have died. 1.2 million have tested positive. Most of you, uh, by a wide, wide margin, 98 point something percent, recover from this. The economy has shrunk 5%. And here's my analogy. If you're trying to cross the street with a young child, a busy road, you better be careful. But just so you know, while you're being careful, another family member is dying of a heart attack and cardiac arrest across the street. And if you take your time and don't take some risks, that person's going to die. There's no reason to cross the street at all. That person is the economy. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There may well be additional legislation. There's kind of a pause period right now. It's a huge, huge package. Let's see how it's doing as we gradually reopen the economy. We probably will have some ideas. Rescue bill phase four. Both sides dig in as the administration hits pause. While unemployment benefits are set to run out in several states in a matter of one week, we will tell you which ones and if you will be affected. Number two. We still need to get in there. We still don't have the virus samples we need. This is an ongoing threat, an ongoing pandemic, and the Chinese Communist Party continues to block access to the Western world, the world's best scientists, to figure out exactly what happened. It is a full, full stop assault on China. Mike Pompeo, evidence mounts. China doubts are, are, are where and how this virus began and spread and why China kept quiet and remained secretive. You're not going to believe it. When I tell you, you're going to be really angry. The U.S. and China clash. Number one. Certain states are going to have to take a little more time in getting open, and they're doing that. Some states, I think, frankly, aren't going fast enough, but we have no choice. We, have to, we can't stay closed as a country. We're not going to have a country left. 
the path and the obstacle to reopening America. 13 more states, uh, 15, I should say, are at least partially reopening today. We'll tell you who, what, when, and why. And well, I also want to go inside and close because, you know, I hear things like Ohio and Maine is opening up and then people write me from Ohio and Maine and say, not the case, not the way it's happening. They're tone deaf. They think everything is a major city. Cities are more challenging. It has a, needs different strategies. You can't shut down a whole state because of Los Angeles or New York City, Manhattan. It doesn't make any sense. So as we look at different states, and I'll just run through uh, some of them, uh, 33 are at least partially reopened. Alaska, elective surgeries are back on. Doctor visits for non-urgent needs are okay. Kansas, phase one begins. In West Virginia, small business with 10 employees or less. Pet groomers, barbershops, so on. To Missouri, businesses can reopen. Restrictions on gatherings of more than 10 will end. But some ridiculous things, like in Illinois, you can't have more, two, more than two people on a boat. Wait a second. You stick me in the house with my family of three, right, or family of five, and then you say, okay, fine, you can sit in my living room on my couch, but not on my bow of my boat. This is ridiculous. That's what drives people nuts. So the president knows, listen, he lost a few friends. He knows how serious this is, but he also knows this can't go on. The bleeding is too much. When you look at what is going on with our economy, I couldn't believe this stat. We have a lot of money that went into the states for unemployment insurance. But when you look at unemployment benefits, New York, Massachusetts, West Virginia, and Ohio can only pay one more week of unemployment insurance. Then they're out of money. California, Kentucky, two more weeks. Then they're out of money. 42% of Americans live in states with less than six weeks of unemployment money. That's why the president's trying to be responsible, but he's in a bit of a rush. Cut one. Well, I think you can satisfy both. If you're scared, you're going to stay back a little bit and you're going to watch it. But there are other people that are scared about being locked in a room and losing their job and not having any income. And, you know, for the first time, these are workers. These are people that want to get back and work and make a living. And they're afraid their job's not going to be there. And at a certain point, if you keep it going too long, that's going to happen. So I understand that very well. Listen, if you if you own a jewelry store, for example, and I believe florists aren't like nurseries. Nurseries are open. I don't think florists are, but I, I might be corrected on that in New York. If you're a jewelry, you own a jewelry store, they're usually small shops. Mother's Day is coming up. You have a, this is like with these major holidays where you cash in. Christmas, Mother's Day, uh, that's when you cash in. Can you at least open up the jewelry stores this week? Can you give them a shot to make some money? I mean, if I could walk into a Ace Hardware, if I could walk into a Lowe's, can I walk into a small jewelry shop? If I'm going to wait online to go into Home Depot can I, or Target, can I also wait online to go to a jewelry shop? Some things you can't buy online. Then you got to get sizes also. Most of us aren't jewelry experts. That's why they're inside in the store. So there's one-shop opportunities. While you're sitting on the side and saying, well, it's too dangerous, others are dying on the vine. And no one seems to fully get that. That's why I salute Colorado and Georgia. It was a bold move. It takes risks. But the other risk of sitting, uh, of waiting, sitting on your hands, costs businesses, costs people their lives. Here's Governor Jared Polis on Fox and Friends today. Cut eleven. Coloradans are mostly able to return to work. So I mean, we had our stores open last week and barbers and salons. And today, this is a Monday. Today's the first day office workers are back. Now, doesn't look exactly like like it does, right? So our offices are going to be at half capacity uh, to make sure people can be a little bit further away from one another. We're encouraging telecommuting across everybody. 
Uh, the state is an employer. We're a model. We're about 70% telecommuting right now. Any company that can be 70 to 80% telecommuting should, but we realize that for some companies, folks have to come in, and, and today uh, up to half can go in, and, and stores, are, uh, stores are open. It's pretty cool, right? And then what you say is, I encourage telecommuting. I am not demanding it. I'm encouraging these businesses to abide by these rules. I'm not demanding it. You're encouraging these businesses to do these things, but I'm not demanding it because the free market will handle it. As I asked you to all write in, I want to get to China, too. And I also don't want to take too much of time away from uh, Ronald McDaniel uh, in Massachusetts. Michael Esquino writes me and says, Massachusetts is still locked down. Not many Massachusetts citizens protesting. They are called willing sheeple. Barbara writes me from um, Florida. Protect us from poverty. I live in Florida. DeSantis opened up beaches, restaurants, 25% capacity, elective surgeries, uh, but no movies, salons, etc. I would open everything up, a caution uh, at risk to stay home, no elective surgeries to the end. Uh, let me see. In Virginia Beach, where, can you, where you can fish or exercise, anything else gets you fourth-class misdemeanor. What? That's incredible. We have WNIS there. Uh, here is Dan Erickson writes me. So. Um, Lester Stone says from Kansas, uh, that state has to do better. It's open. We have to open for elective surgeries. I've waited since May 13th for knee surgery from a workers' comp case. Still no appointment in sight. I can I even get an eye? Can I get an eye exam at least by Friday? So I'll give you an idea what the rest of the country says and what their governors claim. There seems to be a big difference. So there's a major story that's come out. Uh, our intelligence apparatus has revealed that the reason why China, one of the reasons, main reasons why China was so secretive when this virus hit, they knew how bad it was, they didn't want anyone to know. You know what they did? They hoarded all this medical equipment, the PPE, the masks, the gowns, everything involved in that, the swabs, their, their version of tests, in order to get a hold of this before the rest of the world saw this. So what they quickly did is ban flight to other cities in China. Guess what they didn't do? Ban flights to anywhere else in the world. That's why it hit Europe. That's why it slammed us. That's why it hit the West Coast of California. That's why it hit us. Because we have all this travel. We shut down China, but China was able to get in prior to that. And then when we did shut it down, we didn't shut down Europe because we weren't putting it together. They were going to Europe and coming back down. Having said that, knowing what they did this, and knowing that more and more evidence is pointing to the fact this came from a lab not from a wet market, both terrible, but it's important for us to know. And we still haven't been in there. I'm looking at the Secretary of State coming down hard. I'm looking at the president indicating that he wants some answers. When the fact that he brought up tariffs and it wasn't immediately rejected, uh, the market dropped substantially. I think we're going to open up down 200 points. But I want you to listen to Mike Pompeo. Cut 33. The Chinese Communist Party had the opportunity to prevent all of the calamity that has befallen the world. And here we find ourselves today. You and I were talking about we haven't seen each other physically for a long time. That's true of people all across the world. This this is an enormous crisis created by the fact that the Chinese Communist Party reverted to form, reverted to the kinds of disinformation, the kinds of concealment that authoritarian regimes do. Had those scientists been operating in America, they would have put this out, there would have been an exchange of ideas, and we would have quickly identified the kinds of things that needed to be done in response. 
And he's, he was exercised yesterday, man. He was ready to go on this week with George Stephanopoulos as with uh, Martha Raditz. one 866 11 minutes will be able to take your calls. But next, I'm going to talk with uh, Ronna McDaniel. Now, Ronna has her hands full. She thought she had a strong economy in a polarized country. Now we have one of the worst economies ever, and you can't blame either party. But how we respond will define who's the next president, who controls the Senate, and who perhaps even the House. We'll talk to her about that strategy the best we can when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And here's another great unfairness uh, politically, which is for Donald Trump, these accusations did not cost him his brand, which is I can get things done. I can stand up uh, for American interest. Uh, I'm not afraid to be politically incorrect. Joe Biden's brand is I am a decent human being. I'm an empathetic man. And so these accusations go to something that's more central to Joe Biden's appeal than in the case of Donald Trump. That was Susan Page of the USA Today and say the big difference between uh, the high-flying multimillionaire Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Mr. At-Home, working-class blue-collar Joe. Uh, one's been in page six entire career, so when you vote for him and things got a little wild, you say, well, that's how he profiles. The other one's profiling the other way. And this sexual, allega- sexual assault allegation uh, could be much more damaging to him. Let's talk to Ronna McDaniel about that. Uh, she's the RNC chairperson. Ronna, great to hear from you again. Uh, and I want to bring you to the fact that the New York Times has a way to solve all this. If you want to get to the truth, have the DNC investigate. Isn't that a great idea? Yeah, the, the DNC that couldn't count votes in Iowa for the Iowa caucuses, that's, that's the right body to investigate Joe, Joe Biden. They won't be biased at all. <laughs> you know, I was just looking back in the archives to see, did they, if the New York Times wanted the RNC to investigate 
uh, Russia manipulating the election. Did they, I'm trying to Absolutely. find that editorial. Yeah, have we seen <laughs> any of that? Have, have, have I seen that request for you to investigate Donald Trump? Oh, and I'm sure they would have taken our word if we would have done it, too. If we <laughs> said we'd done an exhaustive investigation and this is what we uncovered, the matter is closed. The New York Times would have said absolutely no questions asked. The RNC is correct. I mean, it's laughable. Their, their counterparts are laughing at them that they would suggest the DNC should investigate this. I do think, Brian, it is concerning that he won't open up his archives at the University of Delaware. Uh, it is a contrast to Brett Kavanaugh, who had to dig into his whole life, his calendars. We had to go through his high school yearbooks. And Joe Biden and Democrats are saying, well, this is resolved because I said so. And I have all this archival information from my Senate career. And no, you can't look at it. How do you feel about the president basically saying yesterday or the day before, if I'm Joe Biden, I fight this? He's basically just forget the fact that I'm running against him. If that's me, I fight this. Push back on it. Uh, And, you know, he it seems like you guys, I mean, to you, I think to your credit, because you know, the last thing this nation needs is another sex scandal in the middle of a pandemic. But I think you're also not doing your job if you don't point it out, since nobody else was even pointing it out. Do you see uh, this being a harder thing to approach than maybe in the 90s with Clinton and this whole thing with Kavanaugh, there was gloves were off. But now we're in a di- bit of a different circumstance, right? Well, I think the disparity as to how Democrats have treated women accusing Republicans as you have to believe the women, there's no investigation, guilty before being proven innocent, like we saw with Kavanaugh, to suddenly now see the blatant hypocrisy when it comes to one of their own. And they changed the goalposts of, uh, of our legal standards with Kavanaugh. And I'm I'm glad to see it being restored. We should rely on the presumption of innocence. We should have uh, uh, due process. These are things that should be afforded to everyone, Republican and Democrat. It's Democrats who change that standard for political purposes. And now we're having to backtrack. So uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, you got to worry about the whole party, the House, the Senate and the president. Uh, But when you guys get together, when do you plan? When do what do you tell candidates on when they can go back on the stump again? I've heard the Trump team talk about doing outdoor events. And if that is indeed the case, is June a time for an outdoor event? And if they're not playing sports, should you guys do rallies? Have you discussed this? Well, you heard the president talk about it last night on the great Fox town hall that he did. I mean, one, it's going to be different state by state. So there are certain states that are opening up. So those will be the states, if they're going well and the curve remains flattened, will feel more comfortable going in and campaigning and doing events. So it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach. But, yes, we're going to have to get out there and start campaigning. You know, it's interesting. We have a lawsuit right now against Gavin Newsom, who has told everyone to shelter in place but won't say that ballot harvesting is illegal. So how is uh, that not contradictory? So if Democrats are going to be playing that game, we're going to have to get out and make sure that we campaign and compete because uh, they're going to do all the things that they put in place, ballot harvesting, going door to door, and and we have to make sure we're going to win this election. And essentially ballot harvesting is if I decide to collect ballots for the whole neighborhood, I'll put them in my trunk and just arrive at a polling place. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And say, here you go, and people wonder where you got them, right? Exactly, and how can you have a shelter-in-place order and then not say, hey, uh, maybe we shouldn't go door-to-door and collect ballots right now, which they're not doing in this California 25 race. Uh, so we've, we've sued the governor to clarify that order, make sure he says that right. you shouldn't be ballot harvesting right now. It's a real problem. They collect thousands of ballots and turn them in. I think it's a problem for ballot integrity, and it's, ri- and it's ripe for fraud. But beyond that, Democrats are you know, talking out of both sides of their mouth on some of these issues. Uh, we saw the Wisconsin ballot, mail-in ballots. A lot of them just came in. The primary's already been decided weeks ago. In 20 seconds, does that prove your point that mail-in voting doesn't work? Uh, absolutely. They, they were inundated. They weren't prepared. And what you, the Democrats are asking us to do is to overhaul the entire election system in six months, make it national. We just don't have the capacity to do that, and it will put us into total chaos for this country. You have, you have one of the biggest challenges of any political party um, at any point. RNC Chairman Ronnie McDaniel, best of luck. Calls next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We intend to get that to patients uh, in the early part of this next week, uh, beginning to work with the government, which will determine which cities are most vulnerable and, and where the patients are that need this medicine. So we've donated the entire supply that we have within uh, our supply chain. And we did that because we acknowledge and recognize the human suffering, the human need here, and want to make sure that nothing gets in the way of this getting to patients. That was pretty nice. Daniel O'Day has remdesivir that Gilead uh, CEOs on Face the Nation this weekend. But we got to make sure that that stuff comes to us because you're making it outside our borders it's got to come here quick. We like the early study results. They're not 100 percent. Older hydroxychloroquine, I'm sure, is going to be effective, too. Too much politics involved with that, but you're going to see some studies come out quick that back that up. So we'll be able to get something if you get it early and they have the right mix. So where are we at right now? And by the way, I'll take calls this block. one 866 408-7669. So many emails to get to. But where are we at right now with the fight and the fix, which means a vaccine? Uh, here is Scott Gottlieb, who is as smart as anybody on this, ran the FDA for President Trump, and is still hooked in trying to help out the administration. I think the more that we see persistent infection, the more we're dependent upon a technological change to really be an inflection point in this epidemic. Remdesivir is a, a, an effective drug. It's going to help some patients, especially when used early in the course of disease, to reduce hospitalizations and reduce death. There's also the antibody drugs that we talked about that could be available by the fall. Um, and vaccines may be available by the fall in doses sufficient to ring fence infections in cities while we continue to study them to make sure they're safe and effective for mass inoculation. I think the more that the government accepts the fact that there's just going to be persistent spread and they want to open the economy against that backdrop, the more they better be doubling down on the technology and make sure that we're doing yeah. everything we can to get those drugs in time for the fall. 
Good. Have the medical community work like a bandits. You know, Operation Warp Speed works. The president predicting vaccine by January. Scott Gottlieb is saying that I, the, the social distancing did not work as well as we thought. But if we're going to live like this, this is what I need science to do. So I've been asking you, what's your state like? Are they doing things the way you want? Because I was stunned by that study by Gallup that said 40, uh, 44% of Republicans are in support of opening up now. Really? Only 4% of Democrats. Carol writes me, Carol Zarzano, and says, I'm 81 years old, lost my job on 4 to 5, and don't stay, uh, don't stay locked down because I'm not ready for a nursing home. I absolutely love that 81% are afraid of being so sick there's almost no traffic, and my street has walkers, bikes with no school buses, and little car traffic. It's a total blessing. All right, you talk about a glass, a glass being half full. Uh, being that age, you're a prime candidate, but doesn't she didn't see it that way. Susan writes, I appreciate you supporting opening states. I would beg you to look at Oregon. We have a governor that's lumped us in with Washington, and our state hasn't encountered the cases of the virus or deaths associated with it. She has now closed the parks and campgrounds until the end of May. Our unemployment system is dating back to the 1990s and has needed to be updated. Uh, unbelievable. That is unbelievable this governor's getting away with that. Why do I think, okay, Democrat? Robert writes me and says, why is the House, uh, how do they not qualify as essential workers? They should be out there working. It seems to me their work affects 300 million people. As a physician, you do the jobs that's necessary to meet the needs of your fellow citizens despite the risk. I agree. I know a lot of them are really old and have been doing this job forever, hence the speaker. But you can't work. You got to get to work, make the, make the, take the precautions, uh, social distance. But show an example. I'm going to work through tough times. Uh, Thomas writes me uh, from the Terrorist uh, Mills Foundation, small business owner in Maine. They're still able, uh, that is still able to work, thank God, and wanting to help another small business owner in Maine who's a true hero who gave up almost everything serving the country. Travis is a quadruple amputee with whom, instead of giving up, has a foundation for other veterans invested in another business, uh, a marina, to the excitement of local community and now, of course, COVID-19 in Maine, where instead of using a scalpel in our rural, mostly unaffected state, instead of meat cleavers being trussed uh, through and hurts local heroes like Travis Mills. Help out the Travis Mills Foundation. Uh, so that's what, that's what everyone's saying. Uh, Eric is listening on WDBO in Orlando. Eric. Brian, great show. Spot on as usual. Um, Thank I you. live in Florida. I live in Florida. We're partially reopening today. And uh, okay, as, as the numbers are getting revised down here, here in Florida, they're finding the cases have been diagnosed that are not COVID. My wife works for the largest hospital chain in Florida, and they've lowered. I think it went from thirty-five thousand down to twenty-nine thousand cases, and the deaths have been lowered. But um, I'm in, we're all in favor of opening back up because, uh, within hindsight. They, I, we seem to think they overreacted. But what my biggest fear is, I never thought I'd say this in the United States, the land of the free. I'm more inf- afraid of my media than I am this, This well, they're calling it a disease. It's not a disease. It's a virus. But I'm more afraid of, God forbid, the, the, the cases come back a little bit. And they very well might. And I asked a doctor on your show two weeks ago, and she said, absolutely, herd immunity is the way we need to fight this. Give the virus no more hosts to live on. So what are we doing, Brian? Do you, and I'm afraid the media is going to I just, don't know. Oh. Listen, I'm a, yeah, they, they cheer on lockdowns. They boo the protests. They say that people are being selfish by being uh, unruly. Are you kidding? 
What are you doing to business? What are you doing to the country? Believe me, they would have a totally different opinion if Joe Biden is president. You mark my words, if this comes back and Trump loses, this comes back around Christmas, they're going to say, you still got to go shopping. You got to help Joe Biden's economy. There's nobody that could tell me this isn't politically driven. But what I really respect is people like Governor Murphy that understand that the president doesn't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. They want you proactive, looking out, uh, and also proactive on your own testing. He came out and he saluted the president uh, earlier. Uh, yeah, Governor Gavin Newsom, I hate the way he's running his state, but I do appreciate the fact that he understands the president's helped bail him out and the reason why the numbers are so low. The guy that I cannot even look at is this guy, J.B. Pritzker of Illinois. All this clown does is complain. And believe me, Chicago's a lot different than downstate. Upstate over there is the same thing as New York. Open the place up. Listen to Governor Murphy uh, talk about what he was doing um, with the president. Cut nine. Listen, I think we've been able to find common ground, again, based on the science, based on the facts and the reality. And in our, in our hour of need, uh, I have to thank the president and his team. They have been there for us, and I appreciate that enormously. That's not easy for him to do in an in a election year. Uh, Ron DeSantis, your governor, uh, thanks for the call too, by the way, Eric, your governor on reopening today. Don't, he says tomorrow, but he said yesterday. Cut six. Well, I think tomorrow is going to be a, a small step. I think it's going to be a measured step. But I think it's going to be an important step uh, for people of Florida to know that, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to follow a safe, smart, step-by-step approach to Florida's recovery. We're going to follow data and facts. Uh, but we are intent on moving forward to be able to get the society on its feet again. Absolutely. Listen, we have no choice. You understand it's not stay at home and everything's going to be fine and be patient. You can stay at home and be patient, but just know not everything's fine. Every day that iceberg melts a little bit, and that iceberg is our economy that seemed unbreakable, unbeatable, unmeltable, if that's a word, and now it's melting down. Uh, Italy is starting to wake up. Spain is starting to let their kids play in the afternoon. The adults... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Let's play, uh, play or run out and train in the, in the, in the uh, morning. Uh, you see that's going on in Germany. They're standing up their economy. Their numbers are going up a little bit. But remember, you don't have a feeling about numbers for two weeks. Not two hours or two days, two weeks. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a very special guest, Will Chesney. He's a Navy SEAL working with his dog, talks about his experience fighting for our country over the last 25 years, also what dogs do in the military. I think you're going to find it uh, fascinating, and I think you're going to find uh, his book a must-read. And it's a, it's a book, I know you like these, you see these books come out and they sell well. Hopefully this will too. Uh, it's called uh, No Ordinary Dog. Uh, a retired Navy SEAL, and he's the author of that book. So we'll have that story when we come back. And then keep in mind, too, if you want to keep in touch with the show, and I know you do, uh, go to uh, briankillme.com, hit contacts, uh, and just respond 
to what your state is doing. Brian Kilmeade. The Brian Kilmeade Show, bringing you breaking news first. Joining us now is uh, John Roberts, uh, right from uh, the White House. Brian, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I put you on hold for a second? I'm sorry. I've got an official I need to talk to right now. You don't want to miss a minute. Can you come back to me in 90 seconds? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be the first to hear it. Hear it first with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. It was nearly 10 years ago that a bright September day was darkened by the worst attack on the American people in our history. The images of 9-11 are seared into our national memory. Hijacked planes cutting through a cloudless September sky, the Twin Towers collapsing to the ground, black smoke billowing up from the Pentagon, the wreckage of Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania where the actions of heroic citizens saved even more heartbreak and destruction. Pretty good moment. Uh, He went on. I'm sure we all remember that. And then how we reacted after the spontaneous celebrations all around the world. One of the men who made that happen was on that mission, uh, played a key role, Will Chesney, former Navy SEAL, author of No Ordinary Dog, uh, who did the Bin Laden mission. And people that did it said they've done so many others that were even more complicated, uh, if we only knew. Uh, Will, uh, thanks so much for your service. Appreciate you joining us. Congratulations on the book. Hey, thank you for having me on. Good morning. How are you? Good. Well, where were you when the president made that announcement? I was sitting in a hangar with bin Laden's body uh, pretty close to us and surrounded by a great group of guys. And... Uh, you you made sure to watch television. You got back on that mission, and when you thought when the president made that those remarks, you look you could see Bin Laden's body at the time. We could, and we all thought it would be uh, fitting if we watched the president make the address as well. <laughs> uh, I agree. Can you can you bring us? I know it's uh, about your dog, and we've been through the mission, but for you. When it was mapped out for you, did it seem very like a difficult mission? It didn't seem any more complicated than what we were used to. We are always prepared for anything, or we try to be. So uh, so me and the other guys had put in enough training, we feel, to be prepared. And uh, we went through a bunch of contingencies, but it's it's like what we like to say. It's like business as usual. So we were going after a lot of contingencies. If, except for you had to go into another country, and you didn't, have, didn't want to let them know. And there was a military by, base right next door. And you weren't even sure if it was Bin Laden, right? So, so it might have been a little more difficult than usual. <laughs> <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> um, so um, you write your book, No Ordinary Dog. 
what role did Cairo play in your SEAL career? In my entire career, we uh, utilize the dog's nose. It's their, uh, the biggest tool that they have. So uh, my role is to put Cairo in positions to best utilize his nose. Uh, he was trained to find IEDs, explosives, um, and also human odor. So anybody, any bad guys that have, might have fleed or hiding or trying to set up an ambush or possibly hiding in false walls or anything like that. When did you get him? When did I receive Cairo? Yeah. I received him after my first deployment with development group. Uh, on my first deployment, I just saw how valuable the tool these dogs are. Uh, there's, there's a saying in No Ordinary Dog in the book. Uh, I remember walking into the team room once, and somebody had said, hey, raise your hand if the dog has ever saved your life. And no joke, almost every single person in that room raised their hand. And not only did they have one story to tell, they would have multiple stories to tell. I mean, guys could sit around and joke. Not joke, it's serious business. They would sit around and tell stories about how dogs would save their lives. So uh, it's pretty amazing. And you, and, and your dog, Cairo, uh, was a Belgian uh, Malinos? He, he was a Belgian Malinois. I say that. Malinois, okay. A Belgian Malinois passed away October 2nd, 2015. But prior to that, he actually got shot. You thought you lost him earlier. What was the scenario there? Yeah, we thought we had lost him. Um, In that scenario, there was a couple of bad guys that had fleed the compound. We followed them to a tree line where they had, uh, excuse me, made a, they made their way inside the tree line and tried to set up an ambush where they were trying to get us to come inside. We had, uh, they had one guy up high with an automatic weapon or a PKM machine gun. Uh, we tried to call them out, but since they're, you know, bad guys don't usually listen, they weren't complying very well. So we escalated force to, uh, till finally the, the call was made to send Cairo in. I sent him in. He ended up engaging the bad guys, getting them to show their hand. Um, in doing so, he got shot twice uh, through his leg, which they ended up having to put a metal plate in, and through his chest. And, you know, that large of a round going through a dog, the dogs usually don't survive. But uh, it allowed us to it allowed us to see where the enemy was, and before they could ambush us, it allowed us to neutralize the threat. I would say Cairo at least saved somebody from getting shot that night, if not somebody getting killed or multiple people getting killed. And uh, you said in 2013, uh, you got uh, got hit by a grenade blast. And do you still su- suffer from that today? I do. I uh, yeah, I was hit by a grenade. And um, I think over the years, um, being in the SEAL teams, you do a lot of a lot of work of explosives, so I was exposed to a lot of breaching and we shoot rockets, some hits to the head. I think all that um, over the years kind of accumulated. Uh, I lost a lot of my friends. We all did. That wasn't easy. I, I think I was using alcohol to kind of medicate with that. And so all that together with the final grenade blast, I think uh, it kind of sent me downhill. So I, I went through my own issues, and I'm still going through those issues. And another reason why I'm I want to tell Cairo's story and um, bring attention to what these amazing dogs can do 
And I also tell a little bit about myself and if I can help another veteran out by telling my story, this isn't easy for me to do. Um, but if I can help one person out, it's, it's completely worth it. And I, I just, I hope they reach out or if you know somebody in need, reach out to them. Will, do you feel appreciated from the country that you served? I do. I do. Oh, that's There's key. a lot of great people, people out there. I've been... Sorry to interrupt. There's a lot of great people that have helped me get through some very tough times, not only on my personal side, like as far as I know, but just people that I didn't know. You know a bunch of foundations out there. I, I do. I feel, I'm very appreciative. I might not be here today if it wasn't for those people. Right. And as you mentioned directly, you wouldn't be there without one of these incredible dogs. Uh, Will Chesney, former Navy SEAL, author of No Ordinary Dog, but also talks about a No Ordinary Life. And if people want to appreciate Will and show their appreciation, even if you don't get to meet him, grab this book, read it. Everyone's reading. Uh, we don't have a chance to do the normal book tour. So uh, help Will out to tell his incredible story. Will, thanks for your service. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. It's great talking with you. You got it. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a big hour. Always love having Dave Ignatius on, best-selling author, Washington Post columnist, with great perspective internationally. Takes on the administration, but he takes on every administration. Uh, Brad Melcher will be with us, uh, best-selling author, historian. He's got a brand-new book out called The Lincoln Conspiracy, The First Secret Plot to Kill America's 16th President and Why It Failed. Always love to talk about that. Uh, Brad cannot tell a boring story, and he certainly can't write one. Uh, we have a lot of things going on now. We have three states that are within a week from losing all their unemployment money. I don't know. New York, West Virginia uh, are not going to be able to, uh, and Massachusetts, have any more money to pay un- unemployment insurance. On top of that, two weeks behind, there is uh, another bunch of states that are not going to be able to pay their unemployment insurance. It's going to be Kentucky, Texas, and California. And now we're going to see in, within six weeks, 42% of the rest of the country won't be able to pay. That is why I say there's a rush to reopen responsibly, but get it done, not doing anything and sheltering in place. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's, you probably don't like hearing it. It is not an option. So before we get to, uh, before we get to Dave Ignatius, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There may well be additional legislation. There's kind of a pause period right now. It's a huge, huge package. Let's see how it's doing as we gradually reopen the economy. We probably will have some ideas. Well, uh, Dave Ignatius uh, will be coming up next, but right now it's for Larry Kudlow. The Rescue Bill Phase 4. First, we heard about a pause from Larry Kudlow, but now the president says, I'll go ahead with it. And Mitch McConnell says, I got certain there'll be certain strings attached, but it's hard to get anything done when the House won't report for work until next week. Number two. We still need to get in there. 
We still don't have the virus samples we need. This is an ongoing threat, an ongoing pandemic, and the Chinese Communist Party continues to block access to the Western world, the world's best scientists, to figure out exactly what happened. Evidence mounts. China. Doubts on where and how this virus began and spread and why China kept quiet and remained secretive. We have some news on this that will stun you as the U.S. and China clash again and again. Number one. Certain states are going to have to take a little more time in getting open, and they're doing that. Some states, I think, frankly, aren't going fast enough, but we have no choice. We have to. We can't stay closed as a country. We're not going to have a country left. Uh, that is true. The President of the United States, the path, uh, the obstacle to reopening America. 13 more states, at least partially reignite today. We'll tell you who, what, and why not others are not doing it. I cannot tell you how many people... I cannot tell you how many, uh, how many people are uh, telling me that they're moving too slow. Right now, the stat show, the Gallup poll show, that America is very cautious about going back to work to the point where they're not ready to go back yet. I mean, I can't believe these numbers. There's not many people that I know. Now, if you have diabetes and you're 67 years old, I get it. If you have just had a lung operation, I get it. If you're a smoker, I understand it. But if you are healthy... Life, as, as Chris Christie said two weeks ago, life, no one ever promised, nor did we seek a risk-free life. Every day you go in single-lane traffic, you hope that the, the, the man or woman coming the other way is not going to veer into your lane, but you take the risk and you drive. And here's my analogy. May I think that crossing the street with a young child, a busy street, you need to be cautious. But the reason you're crossing the street is because another family member is on the other side having a heart attack. An option is not not crossing that street. That heart attack is the economy. The risk is crossing that street with a child. If you think it's not a hard thing to do, you're wrong in misunderstanding me. But if you think you can't, you shouldn't cross the street, that's not my priorities. Care about the country. I care about that dry cleaner. I care about that jewelry shop. I care about the deli. I care about the florist. Those are the people that run this country. 80% of all our businesses are small businesses, and everyone's told not to go into any restaurant. Just order out. Then you're down 70%. Now here's some money. Keep people employed. Fine. I appreciate the gesture, but we can't. That money runs out in six weeks, the first wave. It's already been three weeks, four weeks since the first wave. They got two more weeks left. Are we going to write checks on on a zero-sum account? Money we don't have, an economy that didn't need it two months ago. Here's the president. Cut one. Well, I think you can satisfy both. If you're scared, you're going to stay back a little bit and you're going to watch it. But there are other people that are scared about being locked in a room and losing their job and not having any income. And, you know, for the first time, these are workers. These are people that want to get back and work and make a living. And they're afraid their job's not going to be there. And at a certain point, if you keep it going too long, that's going to happen. So I understand that very well. Look, I understand the other side, but we don't have a choice. You're healthy, get back to work. Alaska, elective surgeries, visiting doctors for non-urgent needs are okay. Arizona, they're getting, uh, they're getting impatient. Retail businesses allowed to sell goods today through delivery service, window service, walk-up service, drive-through service, drive-up service, curbside delivery. Arkansas, gyms and fitness centers open. Colorado, they're as good as anybody. Florida, love what they're doing. Indoor retail establishments, restaurants may open. 25% of occupancy. They've got to set up outside. 
uh, except in Broward, Miami-Dade, and Palm Beach counties. Kansas, phase one begins. Minnesota, retail businesses, non-critical businesses may begin offering curbside pickup. Nebraska, good job. Some restaurants, beauty, nail salons, tattoo parlors, open. Elective surgeries, they got to start everywhere. Because even in New York, the hospitals are emptying out. The doctors got to work. They don't do coronavirus treat uh, people. People need uh, shoulders replaced, hips replaced. You got cancer screenings that got to happen. Get the hospitals going. Why are, the, why are we letting them run out of money? That makes absolutely no sense. Let's bring in Dave Ignatius now, one of the most respected uh, columnists in the country, over in the Washington Post. He's the author of a brand new book, The Palladian. It's a novel, but, you know, with his background in uh, with the CIA context he has, FBI context he has, international um, international combat context he has, this stuff is based on a true story. Dave, congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, you're great to have me on the show, and uh, The Paladin is my 11th novel, so I've been wow. trying this for a while, but I uh, hope people will enjoy this one and give people a little something to read while they're cooped up. Right. I mean, what I understand is people are reading, but you can't really do a book tour these days. I mean, I have my paperback coming out next week. Other people are rolling out their books and they're saying, how do we do this? So I want you to tell, and I could appreciate the venue. Uh, Dave, what did you tap into for the idea and what did you do for resources? So, Brian, the Paladin is a story about a CIA officer who basically is assigned a mission that's illegal and gets hung out to dry. Uh, the hero, Michael Dunn, is sent to penetrate a journalistic organization in Europe, journalistic in quotation marks, kind of a WikiLeaks uh, operation. Uh, and then he's charged when he gets back. He's indicted, he's convicted, his marriage is destroyed, his family, his life's turned upside down. And so the book is really a story about his trying to understand why he was sent on this mission, who was really behind it, and who's responsible for the destruction of everything around him. Where did I get the idea for it? Well, there are a lot of people at the agency who felt hung out to dry uh, after uh, some of the difficult things that were done fighting al-Qaeda, uh, felt that they were just let go. So that was an idea in my mind. Uh, there were a lot of different uh, models that I had. I try in my novels, Brian, to present the world of the CIA and intelligence as accurately as I can in a way that people will recognize, but then to tell a story that's also going to you know, keep you up late at night, uh, help you uh, spend your, your COVID-19 vacation doing something interesting. <laughs> Right. Um, but I mean, he's like, but Dave is the type of guy uh, our audience should know that people will tap into for ideas uh, for real life uh, in terms of spy novels and what could be next. And after Al Qaeda hits, what is what's going to be the next hit from Islamic extremists? Uh, because your knowledge is so great and your context is so strong. I want to bring you to another area of your expertise as we try to fight this virus. Uh, the stories come out that the uh, intelligence believes that China covered up the extent of the coronavirus outbreak and how it all started so they could stop up, stock up on medical supplies needed to respond to it. That, according to Intel documents uh, that have been unveiled and reported in the AP. What do you make of this? And as an American, how outraged are you? And now as a journalist, what do you think of this story? So, Brian, let me just focus on what I've confirmed with my own reporting. 
um, th- there is a, a strong possibility that the initial outbreak of the what we call COVID-19 in Wuhan, China, was the result of a laboratory accident. There are two uh, virology labs there uh, that have uh, security arrangements that do research on the kind of coronaviruses that we're seeing with COVID-19. So it certainly is a possibility that there was this uh, leak. Uh, I don't believe that there's any definitive proof, and there won't be until the Chinese do what they should and conduct a full open investigation so we know the the facts. But what we do know is that after the initial outbreak, there was an attempt to suppress information in Wuhan and in China generally. A a brave doctor in Wuhan, Dr. Dr. Li, was uh, imprisoned uh, and ended up dying tragically of exposure to the virus. His crime, he was saying that there's something really dangerous that's happening in our city, and initially the authorities tried to crack down on it. The Chinese did the opposite in that beginning period of what they should have in terms of being open with the information. And I just would come back, Brian, I think there are many unanswered questions. Uh, What the Chinese have an obligation to do to their own citizens and to the world is to open up an investigation so we know how this began, we have better ideas how to treat it, we have a better sense of how to prevent future outbreaks. That's absolutely their obligation. So the president hasn't gone all in like the secretary of state has. And I always wonder, like, you might be very mad at me, but you have to say, what's the end game? So you got to think to yourself, is it worth it unloading on X, Y, and Z? Because at the end of the day, are you going to alienate somebody? Knowing everything you knew, and let's take it as fact, what do you think is going on with the administration uh, right now? What is the end game or the the short-term end game with China? Because they have come back with a video mocking our response to the virus while not taking responsibility for it. Uh, That through their state-controlled news agency. So they're not exactly backing down. Where's this heading? You know, it's it's heading towards a, a, a sharper and sharper break between the two countries. The financial markets this morning reflect that. Uh, I think as as China and the, and the United States take roundhouse swings at each other in terms of these statements, um, it is important to, to maintain maybe uh, in in secret, and I think this is what President Trump is trying to do, some contact. Uh, we're going to need to work together with China to prevent outbreaks of disease, other problems in the future. Uh, the idea that we're just going to head directly toward a, a cold war, maybe maybe a hotter version, I just don't don't think that that's what anybody is is looking toward. The Chinese need to begin this process by being honest. I, I come back to I said that earlier, uh, Brian, but but they have an obligation virus began in Wuhan. They have to help us understand the origins. And I think that that step by the Chinese would be welcomed. And people, your your listeners, everybody should welcome that as a step toward good sense. And, you know, down the road, maybe a return to more cooperation. But right now, uh, these two countries are just just hurling uh, uh, anything they can find at each other. And then that, you know, that's not in anybody's interest. So, Dave, you always write about the big picture and you always talk about our profile. We're respected by our allies and our enemies, what's going on with our state of relations with NATO, the European Union and others. 
Is this also an opportunity for an astute State Department to paint the world the way we see it, and that is there's good and bad? We're the good guys in this. And doesn't that underline why we thought Huawei was dangerous to give China access to your uh, electronic communication? Isn't this also, through all this hell, uh, an opportunity? So, Brian, what this has taught me or reminded me, I I knew it before, is that China is a police state. It controls information. It controls its citizens. It's the opposite of the kind of free country that we want to live in and that I think most people want to live in. I was in Hong Kong last year, and I saw brave Hong Kong Chinese in the streets risking their lives chanting freedom. We want freedom. We want democracy. So if our country... You know, our free, open country can be organized and disciplined enough to fight this pandemic, to to make breakthroughs in in, in drug therapies, to be to be controlled and sensible in how we get back to work. You know, if we if we can, if we can do this right, so the world looks at America and says, "Boy, they got hit hard," but that's a country that knows how to deal with problems in its free and open way, but still solve them. I think it'll be enormously valuable. If, on the other hand, yeah. we look like a disorganized mess that can't cope with this pandemic, you know, can't get its act together, I think it's really going to hurt us in the long run. So, you know, that's one reason why we should really want to all work together on solutions, uh, work together with our docs and, you know, all these fabulous professionals uh, so that we can come right. out this the other end feeling that we, we, you know, we did it right. Our country's strong and people respect us. And you have a great column, too, about an unsung hero, and that's the Fed through all this. Hey, pick up the Paladin. Yeah. It's a novel, but it, Dave has got years of knowing how this operates. You're going to think uh, it's ripping from the news. Uh, Dave, thanks so much. Congratulations on, uh, on the brand-new book. Thank you for taking a little time with me and the Paladin. I hope, I hope your listeners enjoy it, and it's always good to talk to you. Back at you, Dave. Uh, back in a moment with my listeners, one 408 Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we're talking about uh, Joe Biden's situation. We don't know what happened 27 years ago. You don't. I don't. Tara Reid's got to be talking to Ronan Farrow. and That's got to get the Biden camp nervous because they try to get rid of it Friday. She took some tough questions. uh, But in the end, he didn't answer them all. And one one is, do you know her? Uh, What do you know about her? What do you remember from her? And then if you combine that with all the fondling of people that look totally inappropriate, the touchy-feely Joe Biden, you can't say it's unprecedented. You could say he has a great reputation, but now when you see that video uh, and you see all the lip trips he makes and the crazy things he does and the way he loses track in his own sentences while he's talking, Republicans better watch it. The best chance they have of winning is Joe Biden. Uh, So they can hurt him, but don't kill him. Number two, he's just uh, put a letter to the Senate saying to make all his records available. So if Tara Reid did file something, they want to know about it. Tara Reid evidently said, I didn't file a harassment suit. She was too intimidated, but did, did say there was an incident. 
So we'll see where that goes. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Brad Meltzer. We'll talk about what's going on in Florida, where he is. Also, historically, what happened with Lincoln almost being assassinated all those years ago. He's got a great historical perspective and knowledge like nobody else. He'll be joining us, too, shortly. And then we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Don't move. News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, Brad Meltzer joins us now. Great friend of the show and mine. Best-selling author, host of Lost History on, on, on History that, uh, on the History Channel. His latest book is The Lincoln Conspiracy, the first secret plot to kill America's 16th president and why it failed. Uh, Brad not only knows what's happening in history, also knows what's happening today. Also a great friend of the Bush family. And over the weekend, President George W. Bush weighed in on the whole pandemic with an inspirational 63-second message um, that the president took kind of as a shot. I don't know if he misinterpreted it or not. I kind of think he did. Uh, Brad Meltzer joins us. Brad, welcome back. Congratulations on the book. Thank you, my friend. Well, you're also going to make history because you have to sell a book during a pandemic where they don't want you to travel. Good luck with that. Listen, it is you, you know better than anyone, especially when you're talking about the, one of the craziest times in history competing with the craziest time in history. Uh, I, I know you love the word unprecedented. It's virtually unprecedented in modern history. Uh, so I guess you're going to do a lot of virtual events. So, um, so Brad, I, I want to talk about the, the Bush message a little bit later. I know you're very tight with the family. But just real quick, on the Lincoln conspiracy... Think about this. This guy goes to get he gets elected president and half the country leaves before he gets there. Of course, he's going to be in danger, especially as he heads into the south to, to go into his house, the White House. That's exactly right. You know, we all know the story of John Wilkes Booth ending Lincoln's presidency. But this is the story of the first secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln at the very start. So in order to be sworn in as America's 16th president, Lincoln has to take a train from his home in Springfield, Illinois, to Washington, D.C., and the only way to get there is to go through Baltimore. But Maryland at the time was a slave state, so the plot was simple. A secret society planned to ambush Lincoln and kill him when he came through Baltimore and end his presidency before it even begins. And that's where this book, you know, it's a real-life true story, The Lincoln Conspiracy, begins. He got word of it, didn't he? Um, he did get word. What happens is um, in the middle of the night, there's a speeding train filled with passengers. It's got two businessmen. It's got a woman on there and her invalid brother. But none of them are who they say they are. One of the men is the person who got the word. It's famed detective Alan Pinkerton, head of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. The woman is Kate Warren, America's first female private detective. And her so-called brother is not her brother, and he's certainly not invalid. It's a man named Abraham Lincoln. They gave him a code name. They gave him a disguise. They hide him on this train in the middle of the night, and they're trying to avoid the secret society that's trying to murder him. That's chapter one of the Lincoln Spirit. I just ruined chapter one for you, but basically that's where uh, that's how that's how they get word. Yeah, because I think people should understand that this is not fiction. 
It sounds like it's fiction because you should lead most history classes, but it's not. What turned you on to this story? You know, the story, it's two things. One was um, the time period, uh, which is you're in the Civil War, you know, three days after Abraham Lincoln gets elected. That's when South Carolina passes a resolution saying they're going to leave the Union and secede. Three days. That's how long they give Abraham Lincoln. That's how much they hate him. Three days. And it's a time in America where we're completely divided. Americans on one side, you know, thinks the whatever side you're on thinks the other side are horrible, awful people. The country is deeply divided. Does that sound familiar to you, Brian? Like, that's where the country is. And we need to see in this book what great leaders do and what Abraham Lincoln does in that moment. And great leaders, we know what Lincoln does, we know, is not divide us, but unite us. And the other thing that struck me, and I had to tell the story, is I found it's one of my favorite moments in the book, is when Abraham Lincoln, they actually tell him um, that his life, that he's going to be, that's a plot to kill him by the secret society. And the Pinkertons say, listen, we got to sneak you out of, forget your event in Philadelphia tomorrow. Don't go to Philadelphia. We're going to sneak you through Baltimore. No one's going to know you're there. And in that moment, you know what Abraham Lincoln says when they tell him he's going to be killed? He says, I don't care. I'm not missing my Philadelphia event. And you're going to love this, Brian, because I know you and I share the love of this one. But they're like, why? What's in Philly? What Abraham Lincoln is doing in Philadelphia the next day is he's supposed to honor the birthday of his hero, a man named George Washington. And George Washington will not, he, he's like, I can't miss the George Washington moment. He's, and Abraham Lincoln goes to Philadelphia, honors George Washington, gives a speech there, and in the speech actually says, you know, we need to stand together as a country, and if not, you, you know, then you should assassinate me. And we know in that moment, when you read the Lincoln conspiracy, that that's exactly, Lincoln knows that there's a plot to assassinate him. And I love the fact, you know, right after that moment is when they grab him, uh, they hide him in the middle of the night. I won't ruin that part, but you will see uh, exactly how they saved Abraham Lincoln's life. And I was just like, we have to tell this story. You know, it's no secret six, but it's, you know, we, we, it's an incredible story. It is. And it's just also amazing, too. When he arrives in the White House, he almost had no security. Yet we're in the middle of it. Basically, it turned out to be a civil war. It's nuts how many things broke our way that he survived up until he did. But in researching this, did you, I knew you knew the premise was enough for a book. But a lot of times when you start researching, you start finding stuff and you say, I can't believe I never knew this. And I can't believe nobody ever knew this. What did you find that fits under that headline? Yeah, I mean, one of them certainly was that Washington story blew my mind. The other one was was how close it was and what the Pinkertons did. You know, the the group that they're infiltrating is the is a secret society. It starts with the Knights of the Golden Circle, and the Knights of the Golden Circle are this amazing you know kind of group throughout history. Their plan is to keep slavery going, but they're led by this guy who's a barber of all things. And he's in Baltimore. You go into this fancy hotel. You go into the basement. You give the right password. And this barber will whisper in your ear the secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln. It's an incredible moment. But I think what struck me, and, and listen, you know, one of the things I think we make a mistake with in our country is we take our heroes, we build these big statues of them, we worship at their feet, and we forget. We do them a disservice because then we act like they're not human beings. And what struck me were the little details about Abraham Lincoln's life. You know, you and I are both... We love our history, but we forget those human moments, like the moment that um, I love when Abraham Lincoln is actually told that he won the presidency. You know what he's actually doing? They go and tell him he's on the back of the building. He's basically playing handball. 
when he leaves to go to Washington, D.C., one of the last things he does before he leaves Illinois is he wants to go to his father's grave, he wants to go back and see his family, goes to see his stepmother. And his stepmother, in this amazing moment, we show you the whole scene, you see his, his conversation with his stepmom, and the stepmother basically says before he leaves that she's worried he's going to be assassinated and she's never going to see him again. She actually calls it. She's absolutely right. And Lincoln himself is convinced, as you know, I know you and I have talked about the story, he's convinced he sees a premonition that he's going to die while he's in office, and he's right too. So it's these little tiny moments that kind of get sprinkled throughout the book where Abraham Lincoln isn't, you know, we all know Abraham Lincoln at the end of his presidency, but you get to see him at the beginning. You get to see him when they lose the inaugural address. You get to see him when he's scared and nervous. You get to see him as he's realizing, you know, and why he even grows the beard. You get to find out why does Abraham Lincoln grow that beard, and I won't ruin it, but it's an amazing thing that has to do with a little girl who writes him a letter. And that's, to me, what, you know, when you flesh him out and make him a human being again, that's when you see that, you know, the heroes we look up to are just like us. They're human beings just like us. Absolutely. And I think uh, the person who's done more damage to this country than anybody else is John Wilkes Booth. Because if you combine, like, the genius of Frederick Douglass, the determination of uh, General Grant, and Lincoln, there would have been a sense of forgiveness and a sense of enforcement on what was just won in that war. And instead, you had a drunk racist like Andrew Johnson take over, and Grant was able to counter him to a degree. But instead of having a partner, he had an adversary. And I believe no, that John Wilkes Booth right. right. wants, yeah, just, it's just incredible. We might not have needed a 1960s if he lived through the 1860s. No, that's right. I mean, and, and one of the things we ask when you read the Lincoln conspiracy, and I, you know, I encourage you, like whether it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever it is, is we ask the question, would history change? And of course it changes, right? Because the story of Abraham, you know, could someone better have come along and taken over the reins? We knew who was coming. We saw what was coming. Like, what happens is Abraham Lincoln's story, you know, it's not just that we lose the 16th president, is we lose what Abraham Lincoln stands for. And Abraham Lincoln is, you know, that story of him, the rags-to-riches kid who, you know, can't, teaches himself to read and ascends, and through the, as you said, great men like Frederick Douglass evolves and figures out the way to deal with slavery. That story isn't just the story as he rises from nothing to everything. is isn't just the story of Abraham Lincoln. It's the story of America itself. It is literally our own story, and we lose that, too. We lose all the sensibility that comes with that. It, it just does us a huge, uh, horrible disservice. And, and when you read the Lincoln Conspiracy, the end of it really begs that question of exactly what you just said. Gotcha. Um, by the way, Brad, congratulations on your series. Your I Am series is now on a PBS series for children. It's based on your, on your books, and you've debuted in November. You had 3 million children streaming uh, more than 40 one million times across the PBS Kids digital platforms. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty crazy that they made me a cartoon character. Um, and that's why we did I Am Abraham Lincoln, right? I mean, it's why we do all these books, is we need right now. I, was, I wanted to give my kids better heroes to look up to. And, um, you know, one of the stories, but let's just talk, because I know we were talking about the, you know, the Bush family. One of the things, I don't know if I told you this story, but one of the things that I couldn't tell anyone at the time when George Bush passed away, um, is that right before he died, when President Bush died last year, before he died, they were bringing in America, uh, some of his favorite authors to read to him. And I got the call. And so I went to, I was in Kennebunkport, Maine, with my wife. We went into President Bush's house, and Secret Service 
tells me, listen, you're going to read for like five, 10 minutes because he's going to fall asleep. He's, you know, he's just sleeping a lot these days. And I said, I'm honored to be here. And it was right as my book, The First Conspiracy, about the secret plot to kill George Washington and come out. And I go into his room and I know this is the end, Brian. And the Secret Service leave. It's just me and my wife, President Bush and his service dog, Sully. And we know it's the end. And I take out a copy. He has on his desk a stack of books. And one of the books on there is a copy of my book, The First Conspiracy About the Plot to Kill George Washington. And I say to him, sir, you want to read this book? And he says, mm-hmm. Because, and he had, he had a copy. It was like dog-eared. It was like read, I can't tell you how many times, because he gave me a blurb on the book. He loved the book. And I said to him, you want to read it? He says, uh-huh, because he can't speak anymore. He just goes, uh-huh or uh-uh. And so I bring him the chapter of when George Washington presents the Declaration of Independence to his troops for the very first time, has it read to his troops. And sure enough, five minutes, ten minutes into the chapter, President Bush falls asleep. And I'm just like, I'm going to finish the chapter and, and make my way out of here. And as I get to those words, those words we all know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I am not joking. President Bush's eyes pop open, and he is wide awake, like as if it's the lifeblood for himself. And I get to the end of the chapter. He's still wide awake. I say, sir, you want to read another chapter? Uh-huh. And another? I get to the end of that one. You want to wow. read another, sir? Uh-huh. Instead of being there for five minutes, I'm there for an hour, Brian. And we went to his funeral, my wife and I. When we got back, you know, the one thing at his funeral that I remember everyone said, the word that kept being used over and over, was this word, decency decency. And yes, it's because he's such a decent man, but it's also because I think as a culture, we're right now starving for decency. We need those leaders like President Bush, like uh, Abraham Lincoln, those leaders of decency and humility are, are what we're kind of starving for again. Awesome, Brad. What a great story. And I just want you to hear a little of W over the weekend. Let us remember we have faced times of testing before. Following 9-11, I saw a great nation rise as one to honor the brave, to grieve with the grieving, and to embrace unavoidable new duties. And I have no doubt, none at all, that this spirit of service and sacrifice is alive and well in America. Second, let us remember that empathy and simple kindness are essential, powerful tools of national recovery. Even at an appropriate social distance, we can find ways to be present in the lives of others, to ease their anxiety and share their burdens. Finally, let us remember how small our differences are in the face of this shared threat. In the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the sight of God. We rise or fall together. That- very, uh, I think it's extremely well done. It's well written. I think uh, the Trump people felt as though there was some shots at you know, Trump's style in that. Did you see that? Um, listen, uh, I saw Trump, you know, go crazy about that. And I think, as you said at the start, he, re- he he's missing it. He, he, he He's misinterpreting this one. I mean, Bush is literally calling for unity. He's calling for empathy and kindness. And Trump is saying, where were you? Can you imagine after 9-11, if, when, when Bush went out there and they raised the flag and they went to ground zero, if Bill Clinton said, where were you? We would have ripped him apart, rightfully. Um, and I think this is what we need right now is some empathy. What we need right now is some kindness. We need, my God, man, say how many people are died and I feel for you. 
that is necessary. No one's saying, and the only reason I am, you know, W is a friend of mine as well. I know him. I, you know, the guy's a great guy. I know the whole family. Um, that was put out in my mind because no one else is saying it. We have to have someone out there saying, my gosh, there are, you know how many people are dead right now? How many families, you know, that are, are mourning people? And, and I think if you're, if you're taking that as an attack, you're, you're just looking for a fight. And, and you're, when you're a hammer, right. everything looks like a nail. Right. Um, true. I did say he did say that yesterday, though. He goes, yeah, keep in mind, 60,000 people are dead and uh, we can't open up too soon, but we also can't wait too long. It's a tough thing to straddle. I, I, you know, the Obamas and Trump Bushes didn't get along. Then it started getting along. We'll see if the Trumps and Bushes ever heal their way. Brad, book is great. Congratulations on it. And like you, I'm a huge Bush 43 fan throughout history. He's already kicked up six notches over the last 18 months of the so-called historians. Uh, who ranked presidents. I think he's going to keep clicking up there. Brad, congratulations on the book. Again, it is called The Lincoln Conspiracy, uh, the first secret plot to kill America's 16th president and why it failed. Brad, congratulations. Thank you, my brother. Really appreciate it. Yeah, go to bradmelzer.com and get more and order it. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So over the weekend, Senator Biden, he and Vice President Biden, now former on both, says, hey, because of this sexual assault uh, uh, allegation, I'm writing a letter to the Senate to make all my records available. It turns out this just came in. Uh, they are not going to be available. In response to the vice president's request, the secretary of Senate asked Senate legal counsel for the review. The secretary's office provided the following findings. Senate legal counsel has reviewed the relevant and they're not allowed the relevant request. They're not allowed to do that. I'm sure he knew that. The guy was in the Senate for 100 years and is a lawyer. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sad news, especially our Florida listeners. Don Shula has passed away at the age of 90, 33 years in the NFL, only two losing teams. One remarkable feat from Shula, of course, his 17-0 season, 347 wins, a record for an NFL coach. Next, Costco in coronavirus pandemic turns rowdy. They were slow to open up the place uh, in New Rochelle and ends up shoppers were fighting outside, outside the store. Uh, don't leave them waiting, uh, a thousand shoppers waiting over an hour to get in. Next. Major League Baseball's have TY's goal is to have as many teams play as many games as possible in their home parks, not neutral sites. According to Mark Tompkins of the Tampa Bay Times, Major League Baseball's preferred plan is to play many games in their cities. The preferred plan would start play in late June or early July and play as many games as possible. The NHL's focus has returned squarely on a four-arena plan to finish up the 2019-2020 season. Good luck with that. And get basketball back on the court, too. That should be even easier. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You ready, guys? You got one more? Hey, hello. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Going to be joined by Brett Baer and Michael Goodwin this hour, coming to you from New York, but heard around the great country of the United States of America, now under siege by a coronavirus, which, by the way, is uh, gradually letting up, and we have to get up, stand up, and start getting this economy working again. Uh, keep the risks in mind, but you got to put it aside. We don't have a choice. U.S. recoveries at 180,000. That's great. But we have a lot more that got it and beat it. And um, the mortality rate is a lot smaller than we even thought originally. I'm not saying it's not dangerous. You have underlying conditions. You're up there in, uh, in years. Definitely more dangerous for you. Perhaps shelter in place. But for those who uh, live in America, life is full of risks. And on our worst day, a hell of a lot better than it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, when people were sitting there with axes, whips, and wagons uh, trying to earn a living. 44% of Republicans said they would return to normal activities right now. You know how many Democrats? Four. Four. One in five are ready to return to normal right now. That's it. 36% they would return to their activities once the number of new cases of the coronavirus in their state declines significantly. Men and women, you got to suck it up. We got to get back out there, understand the risk, but it's got to be game on. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There may well be additional legislation. There's kind of a pause period right now. It's a huge, huge package. Let's see how it's doing as we gradually reopen the economy. We probably will have some ideas. Wow, here we go. Phase four. Both sides dig in and the administration seems to want to hit pause. Well, unemployment benefits are set to run out in several states in New York and Kentucky in a week. We'll tell you which ones and how you're going to be affected. Number two. We still need to get in there. We still don't have the virus samples we need. This is an ongoing threat, an ongoing pandemic, and the Chinese Communist Party continues to block access to the Western world, the world's best scientists, to figure out exactly what happened. All right, evidence mounts. China. Doubts on where and how this virus began and spread and the new information that we have now, the AP reporting on why China kept quiet. It will enrage you. Number one. Certain states are going to have to take a little more time in getting open, and they're doing that. Some states, I think, frankly, aren't going fast enough, but we have no choice. We have to. We can't stay closed as a country. We're not going to have a country left. Evident, uh, here we go, the path. And the obstacle to reopening America, 15 more states at least partially reignite today. We'll tell you who, what, and why not. Uh, joining us now is uh, Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, located in New York and covered this beat for quite some time. Uh, Michael, first off, what about, what's your take on the information, the AP reporting that from director, directly from our intelligence apparatus, that one of the reasons the Chinese kept, us, kept this quiet from December was because they wanted to acquire all the PPE they could because they knew how bad this virus was and how competitive the field was about to come. What do you think well, of that? 
Well, good morning, Brian. Uh, I think it makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, we've had some anecdotal evidence of that. I, I know, for example, in Australia, uh, Chinese-owned companies in Australia were ordered to send back to China all of the PPEs they could find. Uh, whether they were manufacturing them, I, I don't know. Some of them may have been. But, uh, look, th this is the nature of an authoritarian communist regime. It will... It will crush anything or, or anybody that stands in the way of its objectives. There are no human rights in China. There are the rights that the government allows you to have today and may take them away tomorrow. Uh, so th it would not be surprising that they would subsume everything, including foreign uh, companies with China, with China ties, uh, of course, to their own companies. Around the world, they would look to do this in a way that would be good for them and and to hell with the hindmost for everybody else. They also came out our propaganda videos talking about our bad reaction to the virus as if we're not there not, while not taking responsibility of it. So they're, co they're, they're using their propaganda without remorse. They should be embarrassed and humiliated. Here's what Lindsey Graham said. This is an opportunity for Democrats and Republicans. Cut 36. We've all got good ideas on the Republican side. The president wants to be tough. Where is the Democratic Party? Don't give China a pass. So to uh, Senator Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, why don't you work with me and others to hold accountable China accountable for killing over 60,000 Americans and having 30 million people lose their job? They're absolutely AWOL when it comes to China accountability. So none of this matters unless you can get Democrats involved. Will they? Well, I would I would suspect not. Uh, I, look, I, I think the Democrats uh, approach every issue in the last three years the same way, which is we're not going to do anything to help Donald Trump, that we will basically starve the beast uh, in order to win back power. And I think that's what they intend to do. And so if you ask them, well, what's your ultimate view on China? I think you would get a, a, a kind of mushy uh, answer. It would be it would come to nothing. It would be a political sort of uh, place-holding answer that would lead to no real changes. Don't forget, uh, even on the, uh, the trade deal, it was not the Democratic Party that wanted to change the deal with China. It was the Republican Party. It was, Don it was Donald Trump almost single-handedly in the beginning. Later, Bernie Sanders came around. Later, Hillary Clinton acknowledged it. But that's because the polls showed it was popular, not because they really believed it. And so now you do have polls uh, showing that upwards of two-thirds of the country don't trust China, uh, feel that something needs to be done about it. That's a big increase. Uh, but you still have one party that is playing to its own constituency. Don't forget Hollywood is the party of the is part of the Democratic Party, right? Hollywood has curtailed so many of its movies so as not to offend China. Um, you know, so so you see this over and over again that this globalization, in many ways, <clears throat> corrupts. Uh, what we see, hear, and read in America, what products we get, what products we can't get. It, there is a globalization agenda, which has benefited many people, no question about it, many people around the globe. But it, if you had to pick one thing that Donald Trump ran against, uh, it would be globalization. It would be America first 
and then we'll help everybody else. So he applied that to NATO. He applied that to our southern border. He's applied it to the World Health Organization because of this. He's applied it to the Palestinians. If you're going to use our money to pay uh, uh, terrorist uh, social security yeah. kind of benefits, we're not going to give you the money. Gotcha. So I think the president has been consistent in this. So he uh, will take on China. Biden will acquiesce to China. He is planning, or reportedly, a massive pullout of manufacturing from that country. It'll blow up any trade deal. The market won't like it originally. But for the good of our country, it will revolutionize our work for workforce and, in theory, could bring back our middle class with a furor, almost like we haven't seen since World War II. But in terms of where we're at now, we have to reopen the country while respecting the risk that's out there. Scott Gottlieb, who used to run the FDA and is still hooked in with the administration, said this about the current state of things. Cut 29. When you look across the country, it's really a mixed bag. Uh, Certainly cases are falling in the tri-state region around New York City. But when you back out what's happening in New York, and New York's really driving a lot of the national statistics because it was such a large outbreak, um, around the nation, hospitalizations and new cases continue to rise. So there's about 20 states where we see a rising number of new cases. Illinois, Texas, Maryland, Indiana, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee have a lot of new cases on a daily basis. And so while mitigation didn't fail, I think it's fair to say that it didn't work as well as we expected. We expected that we would start seeing more significant declines in new cases and deaths around the nation at this point, And we're just not seeing that. So it had, social distancing hasn't worked that well. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that is quite a statement. And look, I, I think, Brian, we're all concerned about, about both things here, the, the health, personal health, the health of, uh, of other people, as well as the economy. And, you know, when we talk about finding a balance, uh, of course, that's easier said than done. Um, you, you can look at it, you know, geographically across the country and say oh, it's not so bad here, it's worse here, blah, blah, blah. But, of course, there are people living there. There are spots within that. There, there's almost no way to say that any one area is totally one or the other. I mean, New York being the worst, of course, uh, but people here have to make a living, too. People here have to live. And yes. I was talking, talking to some friends yesterday. I mean, just, you know, it, it, Wall Street is not the economy. Wall Street is, is, you know, coming back, doing better, better than it was. <clears throat> but in, for many small businesses, it's been the opposite. The longer they are closed, the less likely they are to reopen. I mean, there's just no way for a family run, a diner, uh, you know, a shoe store, a, uh, you know, a hardware store. I mean, it's family owned and run operations that really make up the lifeblood of a community yep. that are the anchors of everyday life. Uh, there's no way they, they own can the be out of store. business this way. What about the Diamond District? It's Mother's Day. You're going to tell yeah. these people I can go to Ace Hardware and Lowe's, but I can't negotiate a small jewelry shop where I could talk to an expert on Mother's Day? What You have well, no right. It's lazy leadership. It's well, lazy. Brian. You go in there, you walk those blocks, you dispatch your staff, you put on whatever you want, an N95 mask, and you say, what's it going to take to open up this block? And you walk up and down, and you try to help people do business and feel secure. That's what leadership is. Well, Brian, look at what's going on uh, with uh, Memorial Day, which is traditionally a, this sort of the beginning of summer. It's the opening yeah. of a lot of uh, seacoast 
from from Maine to Florida. Uh, you have a lot of businesses, the New Jersey boardwalk, the New, you know all of the, the the coastal cities, these small towns that that are summer meccas. Uh, are the crowds going to come? I don't think so. Many of the stores aren't open in any event, and if they were, would people come? So up and down the East Coast, you're going to they're going to miss Memorial Day, which is a huge part of their entire year's business. I want you to hear the other big story. We only got uh, 90 seconds left is what you wrote about, and that is uh, Joe Biden's accuser. It's amazing. Kav- uh, Kavanaugh's accusers have to be believed. Joe Biden's not so much. And by the way, Tom Perez, uh, the New York Times had a great idea, the place they used to employ you. Uh, they said, why don't we have the DNC investigate Joe Biden and do a thorough job? Why didn't they ask the RNC to investigate Trump's ties to Russia? That didn't come up at all? They would have done a really thorough job. Here's Tom Perez on his allegations. Listen to his comparison. This guy is a genius. Cut 48. This is like the uh, Hillary emails because there was nothing there. I'm very familiar with vice presidential vetting process. They look at everything about you. They looked at the entire history of Joe Biden, his entire career. And I'll tell you, if Barack Obama had any indication that this there was an issue, Barack Obama would not have had him as his vice president. Barack Obama trusted Joe Biden. I trust Joe Biden. All right. So don't believe the woman because Barack Obama vetted him eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I love the comparison to Hillary Clinton. I don't think that's such a good idea, Tom Perez, <laughs> because uh, nobody believes there was nothing there with Hillary Clinton and it's still being litigated. By the way, do you if there's nothing there, do you beat up your server with a hammer? <laughs> Bleach do you smash uh, your Blackberry to a million pieces? Are you but crazy? You know, but you know, Brian, Who is this clown? I, 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 yes. I think the other side, though, uh, of this is that if those who think that we should repeat the Kavanaugh uh, story uh, for Biden out of some sense of fairness, I think that's a terrible idea also. Uh, the Kavanaugh thing was yes. a travesty, an absolute travesty. People will not go into public service if, if you're going to be caught up in this politics of personal destruction. And I am no fan of Joe Biden's, but, I don't, but I don't, I'm not sure how you ever resolve a 27-year-old complaint that has that recently surfaced for the first time and that has been changed. In the beginning, there was no sexual assault included. And she, uh, Tara Reid has even said that if she, the complaint she filed did not mention sexual assault. So I'm not sure right. how you ever resolve this. All this hunt for documents. Yes, other people say she mentioned it, but other people have said she mentioned different things, too. So if Biden is guilty, yeah. what's he guilty of? That's not clear, not easy to resolve. So I think there are so many important things facing this country. And I don't want to say this is unimportant, but I don't, that the New York Times is a fountain of bad ideas. And that thing of putting his campaign on ice while the DNC investigates is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It just, that's yes. not how the world works. That's not what the country right. wants. The country wants answers to big problems, not this purity test of every candidate from federal office. I hear you, Michael Goodwin. Another bad idea by the New York Times, and I don't think we need another sex scandal. I don't think he's a serial rapist, uh, Joe Biden, like they said Kavanaugh was. Uh, But I will say that you add this to the touchy-feely stuff, and you got to wonder who you're voting for, not some blue-collar Joe who's pure as snow. I'll tell you that. 
Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. one 408 7669 I got Brett Bear getting out of the shower, but next is you. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, we've got a busy show, 1-866-408-7669. We're just going over uh, what's going on between uh, China trying to reopen the country, uh, having the Democratic forces push back against it. We also have not discussed much about Rescue 4. I call it Rescue 4 because there's been three prior ones. They call it like uh, the, uh, the Savior Act or something, too. Here's the thing. No one's going to do it without a payroll tax decrease. Number two, no one's going to do it if the Republicans don't get liability insurance factored in to the CEOs hiring people back. They can't be sued by everybody and their mother. They can't. If someone comes in and works and brings back the virus and someone dies, they can't be dealing with these lawsuits. We will never open up ever. So that is the issue. Now, for the Democrats, they want states to be paid out. Fine. There's going to be some. There's going to be some uh, strings attached. And one of the strings attached is going to be that you can't pay for uh, your pensions. you got to use this for cops and firefighters. you got to use it to be, rebuild things that have been touched. Or, or you could do it to, if not rebuild, you could actually do it to uh, replenish your unemployment systems. I think that would be key. Uh, so that's pretty much where we're at right now. If you want to rebuild and have another rescue package, you're going to have to do that. The other thing you have to do is go back to work. The Senate is going back to work. They are actually going to have Anthony Fauci in to talk about the, how this whole thing started and things that could be do different. Uh, but in the big picture, a phase four will have a lot of give and very little take. Here's Larry Kudlow, Cut 40. The outlook uh, in the weeks and months ahead directly is not positive, as you've noted. The unemployment is very, very high, almost 30 million people. We are covering them with generous relief packages, just trying to stabilize things and get folks through this. And then we will see, we will see in a couple of weeks, Jake, what needs to be done and perhaps how to do it. Yeah, it's so easy to spend money that's not yours. Brett Baer back here, who's going to talk about his tremendous interview last night with his virtual town hall with the President of the United States. Exclusively to you, we'll get the inside story if you stick around. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. They're going to go back. We have to have our students go back to school. My biggest thing, because I really feel the students are in great shape, they're going to be all of the things we have to do, all of the things. But I do worry about teachers at a certain age. The students are going to be fine. Uh, but I really think that, you know, if you take a look, Kristen is going to be fine. But if you have a teacher that's 65 or 70 years old and has diabetes, that one, I think they're going to have to sit it out for a little while. But Mr. President, Unless overall- we come up with the vaccine sooner. 
Uh, that was a little of the town hall, the virtual town hall with Brett Baer and Martha McCallum featuring the President of the United States, later joined by the Vice President and Secretary of Treasury in the incredible sight uh, overlooking or in part of the Lincoln Memorial. Brett Baer is the one who pulled that off, uh, half of that uh, dynamic duo. Brett, first off, before we talk about the substance of it, what led to it? Who came up with that idea? Hey, uh, good morning, Brian. We um, had been pressing since we had the town hall in Scranton to have another one, obviously after the shutdown, and, and aiming it towards um, how to reopen the country. Uh, it took a lot of negotiation back and forth. I was just the part of you know, helping to say we'd love to do it again. Um, and the upper echelon of Fox talked to the White House, and they, the White House, suggested uh, – the Lincoln Memorial, um, and once I found out that that was going to be there, it's, you know, we'll do it wherever he wants to do it. Um, and, I, I mean, obviously, you look at those images and the shots, and, and kudos to the technical crew that that made it all happen in a really difficult scenario, but uh, it, was, it was gorgeous and one of a kind. It's never happened like that before. So you rolled in, got people ask questions, put them on tape, and they, they had the president engage. Now, he's been preempting your show. You've been watching his two-hour uh, two press conferences where he answers every question or takes every question under the sun, doesn't necessarily answer all of them. Uh, what was your approach knowing he's been uh, so out there of late? Well, first of all, we wanted to get a cross-section of America with both um, you know, different types of questions, small business, uh, individual People, um, people have lost jobs. People who own businesses, um, you know, bigger business, and so we felt like both geography and um, you know, kind of a cross section of America. We had a good, good blend. We got many, many submissions, and so we wanted to structure it like that to hear as many viewers' um, questions as possible, and then ideally uh, try to take some of the talking points away. The president, obviously, you've talked to him numerous times, has his own unique style, and it's um, kind of a stream of consciousness when he goes down some road. Um, and sometimes you have to try to get him back to the question that you asked. Uh, sometimes I think we did that well. Other times I wish I had more time to press on different things. But um, it's the format of the town hall. It's a little bit different than a regular interview, and it's a different than a debate. Yeah, so a couple of things I thought was significant. He talked about, you know, we lost 60,000 people and he lost some of his good friends uh, for this virus. He knows this is dangerous. He knows it's not a hoax. He knows it's not the flu, right? I mean, that, that's that been yeah, felt him because it. he's you, lost, yeah. You see it in how he answers. I mean, he's um, he's much more humble, I think, about, and that's a big word for, for President Trump, about this virus and about its deadliness. And uh, I think, you know, you see it in some of his answers. Uh, and on the flip side, he sees the devastation that the economy is taking uh, and talks to business people all the time who are wondering what's next. I mean, they've got to stimulate the economy. It's not just, and we ask this question, it's not just stimulus, giving out checks and giving out loans, uh, it's about demand and how to really stimulate the economy once we get back in, in full gear. 
So we got 15 states opening up partially, a lot of impatience in Maine, a lot of impatience in Michigan, a lot of impatience in Washington and Oregon. We're seeing the impatience in California and they and, and so many in the media. This must fascinate you. I don't know if you feel comfortable enough to talk about it. Fascinated. It seems like the media is cheering for a shutdown. You never hear people saying, wow, the restlessness, I can understand it. They want to say it's uh, Trump instead like um, uh, a, a Trump push to get the economy back when it's really not. I mean, I see so many people frustrated watching their lives wither away, let alone bored to tears waiting inside. You've been in Florida and in Washington. How would you describe yeah. the difference between the two? Well, uh, there's a different mentality in Florida. Um, and I think there's more of a, a push from the beginning uh, to open up things as fast as you can, as safely as you can. You know, Governor DeSantis has been given a lot of credit down here in the polls and and um, elsewhere. And obviously the administration looks at him as a, a leader. I agree with you that there is a balance issue and that the focus seems to be nationally on on the health side and not as much on the economy side. But there are journalists who are are trying to cover both fairly. Um, the concern is is that you listen to the medical experts about this reflare up or the numbers going up once you open up if you don't social distance and do you do it the right way. And to the first question you asked, I mean, you know, the vulnerable uh, don't do well in this virus. Yeah, absolutely. But you're looking at recoveries at 180,000. Uh, we have an economy that shrunk by 5%. Uh, in six weeks, um, within six weeks, uh, 45% of the states will, will run out of unemployment funds. In one week, New York, Kentucky, and Texas run out of funds. I mean, we don't really have a choice. It's like my analogy, and, you know, I can give it to you, and if you don't take it, I'll give it to Martha. I know one of you will probably wrestle over it. <laughs> but my analogy is, let's say you have a little kid and you're crossing a busy street. It's dangerous. But the reason you do it is because on the other side of the street is another relative dying of a heart attack. And the question is, if you don't cross that street, that heart attack will die. That heart attack is the economy. I know there's no easy answer. There's anyone who says it's easy is not paying attention and is insulting your intelligence. But every week that goes by, there's a price to pay. Every day that goes by, there's a price to pay. So you could decide if you and Martha want to use that or if you want me to give it right to Chris (laughs) Wallace for Sunday. Uh, You make a good point. And I think I think that's the battle that's going on is the realization that this status quo has to change. And how we do it, whether it is the advancement of these therapeutics that at least take the fatality risk down whatever notch. Uh, Obviously, the president said that in his eyes that the vaccine is going to come before the end of the year. Well, that's that's faster than anything we've seen before when it comes to vaccines. Um, You know, the mumps took four years. Um, So just in the big picture, that would be a big, big push. But the bottom line is that you got to get people working, but it's not just opening stuff up. I mean, people have to feel okay about going out to buy things or to, you know, actually be in the economy. And, um, and that's going to take some leadership to be able to do that safely. 
So, uh, Brett, uh, do you think the president's going to have his normal press conferences this week at all? When we had Kaylee McEnany do such a strong job last week of her first presser, I think in them doing your show last night, doing that special, he's freeing himself up to gradually pull back on, th- on things because he creates so much controversy with those pressers. What do you think? Well, I, I think there's this push inside with, from AIDS uh, to do less of the day-to-day and more of the you know, special interviews. Or uh, I think yeah. they do love that, that interaction with actual Americans, uh, even if it is virtual. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he does more town halls. I think he'll do more one-on-one interviews um, and less of the combated. I think he was just polling-wise, people inside were telling him it was not coming off well. And listen, he has the power of incumbency. But I asked him about the election, whether it was he thought a referendum on how this all goes. He said not completely, but it's going to factor in heavily. Bottom line is it really does come down to how we do coming out of this by November. How would you describe him? Just no right or wrong answer. Just like the guy you know and have seen and interviewed many times before. How was he last night? I think he was, uh, you know, he was in good spirits. He he appreciated the history of the moment being in that spot. Uh, I think he was happy to be outside the walls of the White House. Um, he's anxious, I think, to get out and about. Um, but he does still feel under siege, you know. Uh, and when I say that, I mean his his answer to the question about from the lady saying his tone and how he talks about things. She was saying it in a way that she supports him, but she doesn't like that. And I thought his answer was interesting. You know, a lot of people on Twitter were saying when he said he was tre- he's been treated p- more poorly or uh, worse than than any other president, including Lincoln, pointing to Lincoln. You know, they wanted me to say, well, Lincoln was assassinated, but he was uh, obviously pointing to how the the press treated him. Uh, every president thinks that this one just expresses it frequently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be just fascinating to see. Now, the Joe Biden situation, just to advance it, as you know, he sent a letter out over the weekend telling the president of the Senate, hey, do me a favor, release all my records. They came back, according to Chad Pergram, says, I'm not allowed to release your records. Plus, we already know Tara Reid, the accuser, said that I never filed a sexual assault claim. So what are we looking for anyway? Where do you think this is going, Brett? And we know, obviously, we don't know. We also know that Ronan Farrow is working on this to do a story for New Yorker. So... Where do you stand on this? Where do you think it's going? Well, I think we're not done with this story. I do think that um, I do think that Biden did himself well with that interview with Mika Brzezinski uh, in his answers, minus the University of Delaware record stuff. Uh, I, I think there'll be, you know, if Ronan Farrow's on it, that's the call that you don't want to get, that Ronan Farrow's on some story about an allegation. Um, and I think, you know, potentially that that, changes the ballgame on this story. I do think that it's interesting to watch Biden and his communication. Uh, He's got advice now in the New York Times from David Axelrod and David Pluff about how to break through and get out of the basement in the Delaware House. Um, I I think it's a challenge. You know, he's benefiting from that right now 
But eventually there will be a head-to-head, and he will have to interact uh, more. I mean, imagine we'd love to have Joe Biden on a town hall and give him the same access and and, uh, bells and whistles that we did with uh, President Trump last night. He just hasn't accepted. And um, and I'd like to see that. I'd like to see how he performs in that kind of environment. Listen to what Susan Pace. Everyone says, well, look at Trump. He had all these problems. He's been in the, the page sixes of the world for 20, 30 years. Why are you going to judge Joe Biden on one accusation almost 30 years ago? But Susan Page, who's also a panelist with you a lot, with USA Today, had an interesting take, cut 50. And here's another great unfairness uh, politically, which is for Donald Trump, these accusations did not cost him his brand, which is I can get things done. I can stand up uh, for American interest. Uh, I'm not afraid to be politically incorrect. Joe Biden's brand is I am a decent human being. I'm an empathetic man. And so these accusations go to something that's more central to Joe Biden's appeal than in the case of Donald Trump. Interesting perspective. Do you concur? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's part of his pitch, clearly, is that, uh, you know, his pitch is I'm not Donald Trump and I'll restore, you know, dignity in his words to um, to the Oval Office. And, you know, obviously, if this story continues and we get more dots on the timeline and Tara Reid is believable and Ronan Farrow does a, you know, big expose, it changes that dynamic. So, yeah, I do agree with Susan Page. I think that there is also a possibility it goes the other way, and uh, Biden kind of gets over this allegation. Uh, his bigger challenge, I think, is you know communicating on the big level of uh, how he's going to be president. Absolutely. Um, he's going to be on at 6 o'clock tonight with Special Report. Uh, Brett Baer, good job. Great job last night. And tell Martha the same when you see her. I will, and I'll let her use the analogy. All right. It's up to her. She's, it's not going to be free. You got to license it. And I'm going to email you over a form. Okay. <laughs> See then you have access. It's like NFL film. Same form. Thank you very much. Uh, back in a moment uh, with your phone calls. 1-866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. 1-866-408-7669. I just want to tell you that Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers have put some new material in there I think you'll like. Paperback comes out next Tuesday. You can pre-order it now. I think you'll like it. It's how he tried to keep Texas out of the Civil War. Lincoln heard about it, reached out to him, and then I tell you what happened. I think you'll be uh, pretty surprised. Uh, also, uh, keep in mind, too, if you got a young reader in your house, Thomas Jefferson, the Triple E Pirates, I didn't have anything to do with it. Really skilled educators did. Um, it is uh, available for young readers, like fourth to eighth grade. There's no books for those, for those grades. Uh, and I think this would be uh, one that I think you guys would like. Um, let's go to the phones real quick, and let's go to Derek. Listen on the TuneIn app in Massachusetts. Derek, what's happened with your hey, state? Brian. Um, we got big problems over here in the nursing homes. Over 50% of the deaths here are in the nursing homes. Like Governor Como, our Governor oh, yeah. Baker here, isn't doing a good job. My wife is a CNA. She just tested positive for COVID on Saturday. She's known since March 
that they were in trouble in the nursing homes, right? She's known, she's been telling management in the home, we need the masks, we need the PPE. They had to turn it all into the hospitals. And they had the same problem. They're putting the patients with the COVID back in the nursing homes over here. President Trump doesn't know what's going on on the ground here in these states. Our governors are screwing this up. Governor DeSantis doing a good job. Governor Cuomo, Governor Baker, they're screwing this up big time. The president's got to come down hard on these guys. Stop being so polite to them. He's got to tear them a new, a new you-know-what. These governors to wake well, up you, and stop you, protecting. You know, I, I asked everyone on Twitter this morning. I asked them, can you tell me what's going on in your state? I, I'm tired of hearing about what's open. Just tell me what you see. And I just got a lot from Massachusetts. You guys are so frustrated. Uh, one person, they don't know what their handle is. Uh, uh, answers, please. Massachusetts is controlled by those in Boston who have no clue now. Uh, much of the shutdown is hurting the myriad of small mom and pop businesses in and around the state. Children's education is being hurt, too, as some schools are simply not equipped to provide what is needed. Is that what you're saying? We're going to pay attention to the nursing homes. Number one, we should have known as soon as that happened in Washington State. Number one, we have to protect the residents in the nursing homes, and we're not doing that. We're still New not York doing too. that today. They're not giving out the PPE still here. They give them a surgical mask, and it's supposed to last a whole week. That's all they get. All right. Thanks, man. Hope, you're, uh, hope your wife feels better. Uh, I hope that's a, uh, that's a huge red flag. And this is with Cuomo. If Cuomo ever wants to run for president, this is going to come back to haunt him. He did nothing. He put people that were infected to, re- to get better back in the nursing home. Meanwhile, we now know they're most susceptible. Really sad. The passing of Don Chula, one of the great guys and great coaches in any sport at any time, passed away at the age of 90, had a great life, uh, really well respected. Uh, from Dan Marino to Bob Greasy to Earl Morrill, uh, they knew how great he was, how smart he was. His son's doing a great job with the Giants right now, too. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Stay healthy. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.